Oh, well, I've sure enjoyed sharing on John, and uh, it's been, for me, uh, a, you know, just I, I get a lot out of preparing to share. And so where we're kind of going in the weeks ahead, a few more weeks that I want to sort of share out of the life of John and, uh, you know, as he prepares the way for Jesus and, again, wrestling with some of the things that he's going to have to wrestle with, very instructive for us. But then what we'll do is we head towards Easter as a church. We're going to shift a little bit of the discussion to how Jesus was all in, how he lived all in, how he went all in on the cross, and how he went ultimately all in on the resurrection. But for now, I want to focus on John. And, you know, we'll just pick back up with where we sort of were. The, the Gospels all refer to John. All four of them do. But John, the Gospel of John, which was from the disciple named John, who was this, the brother of James, son of Zebedee, uh, one of Jesus' primary closest disciples, often called the Apostle of Love. John's Gospel, which focuses so much on the love of God, also gives us a unique insight into John. In the very opening mo movement of John's Gospel, that first chapter where it talks about in the beginning was the Word, it's just this amazing, expansive declaration. John actually has a, a mention in there, and it reminds us that he has a critical role to play as Jesus comes into this world and reveals himself. And so I wanted to pick up, this is in your handout, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. I'm going to move to these two little passages here as a starting point. John 1, verses 6 through 9, again, if you have your Bible app, follow along there as well, but it is in your handout. We read in John 1, there was a man sent from God, his name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now John, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So the purpose of John was to bear witness of the light. And he was utterly committed to that purpose. Jump forward in the chapter. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as Jesus walked by. And he said, behold, there he is, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And we talked about this. We mentioned it last week. Now, the Lamb of God was John's primary designation for Jesus. Uh, earlier on, he actually added, the day before, another phrase. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was the son of a priest. Remember we talked about Zechariah the series before we explored the miraculous birth of John. It was, for John, the idea of Jesus being the Lamb of God was not just a coincidental happenstance kind of designation. It was something that was embedded deep into him. Uh, remember, he had been raised as a son of a priest. He was very familiar with Israel's history, right? He understood Israel's history. He understood uh, all that it anticipated, the meaning and the significance of the sacrificial system that you read about when you read the Old Testament. It has all these sacrifices and things. John was aware of all of those things. When we talk about his familiarity with the scriptures, he grew up around the sacrificial system. He understood the Passover lamb and what it represented for the people of God, for the nation of Israel. He understood all that was entailed. So when he sees Jesus, he understands from the beginning that Jesus is coming to give himself away as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was born to die. Again, in, later on in John's Gospel, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have life evermore, everlasting, overflowing, without end. 
now and yet to be, right? All of that wrapped up in Jesus. For John, he clearly understood that his work was to introduce Jesus. And so in that moment when he sees Jesus and recognizes him as Messiah, two things are happening there. One, he recognizes that there is the fulfillment of all that has been anticipated is happening right in front of his eyes. Everything that they had, the system of, of the nation of Israel, the law of Moses, everything, every aspect of it was being fulfilled right before his eyes. He saw it. But then even more than that, when he sees Jesus, he sees not only the fulfillment of promise, but if I can put it this way, he sees also the fulfillment of everything that he himself has been assigned to do. Remember, he was, in his mind, had one purpose for his life, to prepare the way for Messiah. Everything about what he had been doing was for that purpose. And now his work was accomplished. He had pointed people to Jesus. The Messiah had come. And it was a fair question to ask as he stands on the top of the mountain. Imagine the image of someone climbing to the top. He gets there. He does what he's supposed to do. He sees Jesus. He sees the promised one. His very purpose fulfilled. The problem is he's 30 years old. And he's already accomplished everything he was born to accomplish. What do you do next? What was he supposed to do next? He didn't know. His clarion cry had been, make way for the coming king. The king is on his way. God is on the march. A new thing is about to happen. And when he comes, you'll know what I'm talking about. And now he had come. And John had called him out. And then it begged the question, now what? He even talked. He even told people, don't follow me anymore. Follow him. But, but even his, his close, some of his closest disciples, recognizing what John was saying, said, okay, I think that's, we, better, we better do that. And they left him. And we talked about that. And by the way, when you read here in John 1.35, that designation, it's the last time ever recorded that John lays eyes on Jesus. He doesn't know it at the time. But it appears it'll be the last time he'll ever see him. I wonder what he felt as he watched his two disciples go with Jesus and as he watched Jesus passing by. The reason I bring that up is because if you look at the, the phrase there, it says he looked at Jesus. In the, in the um, Greek language that the scripture is translated from, sometimes we have one word for something that, that they have more than one word for. That's true of love. Like a lot of times what's translated love in the scriptures can be from the Greek word phileo, you know, agape, eros. These are storge. They're different, different kinds of love. Right? The, the love of God evidenced by Jesus is always the agape. It's, it's, it's love at its deepest, most profound giving levels. We could just do a study and talk about love in its different ways, right? Philadelphia, the idea of brotherly love, right? Eros, erotic love. Right? It's just... There are different kinds of love. The point is this, the word for looking, there's, two, there's a different ways of looking. It says that John did not just cast a casual glance at Jesus, that as he stood there, it, was a, it, it speaks of like a, a penetrating, pondering, almost perplexed look as, and again, try to see it in our mind's eye. 
John declares Jesus passing by the Lamb of God. There he is. I told you, there he is again, the Lamb of God, the one who was born to take away the sin of the world. That's him. That's the one I've been telling you about who's come. And as John watches him, there's a part of him that is standing there that's trying to understand everything that God is doing. He's watching Jesus, and there's, I'm sure, a wide variety of emotions inside of him as he looks to figure, trying to understand what is God doing? What is happening here? What about me? What's all going down? How is this going to go down? He looks deeply into it. Jump to John 3. This is also then in your handout. This is the passage we're really going to focus on. It says, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he, John, remained there with them and was baptizing. Well, Jesus was there baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salim because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for we're told, parenthetically, John had not yet been put in prison, which will happen. We'll talk about that. But we have to see that there was a period Jesus and John were very different. Now, okay, one more thing. Jesus himself didn't baptize directly. We're told from other passages the disciples baptized on his behalf, right? But it was called Jesus' baptism. John himself did baptize. And what seems to be happening here is that for a short time, they were on a parallel track. Okay? John, not knowing what to do next, Jesus didn't say, stop doing what you've been doing. There wasn't even much of a discussion that took place beyond a recognition and a declaration on the part of John. Remember, Jesus leaves after that, goes in the wilderness to be tempted, driven by the Spirit to be tempted of the devil in the wilderness. John himself staying back. When Jesus returns, John calls on the Lamb of God, confirms that, declares it two days in a row. But after that, there's no interaction that's taking place. John doesn't know what he says. So he does what he, he does what he thinks he's supposed to be doing. He keeps baptizing people under repentance. He still has a large following. He's still very famous in the region, but he decides to go to a different place, not where Jesus is. In a lot of ways, he seeds the place to Jesus to to baptize or to do his ministry. John goes somewhere else, but he's still baptizing. That's the context for what's about to happen. We're about to read because we're told here that something remarkable occurs. Try to imagine a conversation. Now, John has ardent followers who are still committed to him. They believe in him. They believe he's from God. They are loyal to the core. All right? So what happens is we're told in verse 25 that there's this discussion that takes place. Maybe even turns into a, a minor kind of argument, his passion. John's, John's disciples are very passionate. We're told that there was, uh, it says, a discussion arose between, look at verse 25, between some of John's disciples and a, and a Jew over purification. That, they were all Jewish, so remember that. The designation is to sort of help them understand that there was evidently a, some type of a, it, many people believe it was a Pharisee who had come from Jerusalem to have a discussion with them about the theological implications of John's baptism. Remember, they had other discussions before, like, by whose authority do you do this? Things like that. But this particular conversation is a catalyst for one of the most amazing declarations of anyone who's ever followed Jesus. It starts off innocently. There's an argument. He start, they start talking about baptism. 
And evidently, somewhere along the way, as they're talking about the validity of John's baptism, and again, uh, baptism was something that, that people were doing to identify and to prepare. And it meant something, and it still does. But what happens is there's a conversation that occurs. And, and this devout Jew, evidently connected to the temple, starts to challenge them around the baptism, and principally speaking. And then he must have said something about how, hey, did you know that Jesus, you know that Jesus that John pointed to, he's, he now is baptizing as well. And listen to this, way more people are going to him than are coming to you guys. Look what it says, John, verse 26, and they, after this conversation incurs, they, they, they come to John and they say, teacher, rabbi, Rabbi, he who was across with you, he who was with you across the Jordan, the one, the one that you said you would bear, you bore witness to, you called him the Lamb of God, that, look, do you know what he's doing now? He's now baptizing. That's what we do. Now he's doing it. And, and look, and all our, look at their phrase, look at the hyper, all, everybody's going to him. They come off this conversation. And that's what's on their mind. You know what they're basically saying? Do you see what's going They come to John and say, do you see what's going on? Uh, Kate, this is our turf. We do the baptizing. He, not him and his group. He didn't tell, that's ours. That's what we do. We baptize people under repentance. It was evidently a sore point for some of John's followers, right? Who perhaps agitated by the man who pointed out to them their now diminishing influence. It's, it's actually, actually fascinating to consider the entire episode because it's so human. It's so real. They had been bothered by Jesus's apparent baptismal success at their expense. And then it was rubbed into their face. And it made them more upset. And so they go to John to share their, their heart and their, their feelings. And there can be no other way to view it. Um, when they go to John with their concern, it was an offense. Let's remember, oh, by the way, let's remember, hear me. If the evil one had his way, he would drive at the very outset, the infancy, a wedge between John and Jesus. Do you see what I'm saying? Because John's followers, as loyal as they were, were being used, if, if you will, to incite John. There could be no other way to really view it, right? It was a trap that lesser men would have fallen into. And as, as uh, A. A. W. Robertson pointed out, it was such a speech, I would just read this, that would have played havoc with a little mind and an unprincipled soul. Never are the suggestions of self-love so dangerous as when they are whispered in the ear by the flattering lips of sympathizers. Now, so what John is being appealed to is, can you believe this? Rabbi, you can't let this happen. I mean, even this, we have to give up? They're all going to him. What are you going to do about that? We've got to stop this. We gotta, the implication is, we, this, we, this cannot be allowed to continue. What, John, master, rabbi, teacher, please, what do you think? 
at the core. <laughs> now, now, John is going to have to, right here, he is going to have to process. And as he processes it, it, remember, it's not all clear to him what he's supposed to do. He's 30 years in his prime. Is he going to hold the line? Jesus was different than him. Perhaps, maybe he starts to wonder, was I mistaken? Having yielded the field, would he begin to waver? It was at the core a, a test of loyalty and fidelity. Could he hold his line in this moment as they were appealing to him to fight for himself? Could he hold his line? Could he stay in his lane? Watch what happens. And I love the 27th verse. It says, John answered, he said, listen, a person, I, tell you, I want to tell you something. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to them from heaven. That's the, let's start there. He, so he starts with this broad principle, a declaration. Like, this is basically what he's saying is, this is God's call, not mine. This is God's call. And, the, and, and in the kingdom, listen to me, he decides. He decides, not me. I know you want me to do something. I know it bothers you that now even the baptism, everybody's going, I get it. I go, but he decides, not me. And he goes, look, look, look. You, look, you see it. You yourselves, listen, you bear witness. You've heard me say it with your own ears that I said to you, I, I am not the Christ. I've been sent before him, but I am not him. Remember who I said I was and what I had come to do to prepare the way. I didn't ever said that I was the one. Right, and then, <laughs> watch this. He gets into this marvelous analogy, doesn't he? Watch what happens. It's awesome. It's like he goes, he goes look. He goes, the, the one who has the bride, that's the bridegroom. Don't ever forget that. The friend of the bridegroom, he stands, look at this, he stands and he hears him and rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. That is, he's happy for him. It's like, look, he's going, John says, look, it's like being at a wedding. He says, there's someone who's getting married, the bridegroom, and his bride. And he says, I, I am like, um, look, the best man, or, he's not, is he watching what's going on? It's not like he's going, oh, I, I, I don't want this to happen. He said, no, you, you know, no, 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 you got to say, it's like you're happy for, for him. You see that? He sta- he, look, he stands and he's listening and he hears him and he rejoices greatly over it. Ah, oh, he rejoices greatly at the, at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, I t- do you understand what I'm saying? Therefore, uh, this joy of mine is, is, is now complete. Uh, how could I be anything other than, than happy for what God is doing? What, a, what an expanse. If you, if, if you, it's almost like John says, if you think that the news from across the Jordan about Jesus' success does anything but bring me joy, then you are mistaken. And then he says words that stir the soul he makes the statement. He says it. He declares it. He hammers it home deep inside of whatever struggle he was having around it. He says this. Make no mistake about this. He, look at that. Look at that verse. 30, oh, that's a great verse. He must increase, 
but I must decrease. Wow. My light is diminishing, his is growing, and it is as it should be. Listen, listen to me. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. That's me. He who comes from heaven is above all. That's him. He, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Not yet, but whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. God has spoken. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Remember, he called him the Son of God. And whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Think about that statement. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Death reigns unless life is coming. It's not about, are we lost? Apart from Christ, we're all adrift at sea. If you think about the verse that follows John 3.16, less quoted, remember, God's love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have life, everlasting life. But what follows after that? He's having this conversation with a spiritual teacher named Nicodemus, and he says, and don't ever forget, God did not send his son into this world to condemn it. It already has death on it. But to give life, it's about the life giver. It's like we're all drowning at sea and God throws out a life opportunity, right? A ring of life. And it's, it's just a question of who wants to accept what God is offering. It's a powerful thing that John says. Okay, help, stay with me. Take what we've been. Now let's pull this into all in. Let me suggest something. This will mean more to some than others. But when we're all in, when it comes to all in, let us guard our heart. Hear me out. Let's put this up. We'll put this up there, especially for those who are taking notes. Let us guard our heart against offense, competition, and division. And this is especially powerful truth for all of us in church community. But it's a principle that applies across the board anywhere, even when we work. Certainly in relationships. We will always, listen, always have occasions to be offended. And we will always have reasons to compete. And I'm not saying there, is a difference, there isn't a difference between healthy competition and unhealthy one. In this particular case, John was being asked by his loyal disciples to compete with Jesus for turf. And he wouldn't do it. He must increase. I must decrease. Not said by a beaten man or a broken man. By a man at his peak. Susceptible to everyone, like everyone else, to pride and vainglory. Used to being on top, his own guy. We got to guard our hearts against division. It was an attempt there to divide. I think we understand this. One of my favorite Psalms of all the Psalms, Psalm 133. You know, I, behold how pleasant and how good it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. That's a comprehensive phrase. Using the language, the poetic language of the Older Testament, is, not, is it not like um, the dew that falls on Mount Hermon? Or the, the oil, the anointing oil that flowed down Aaron's beard. There the Lord, listen, there the Lord has commanded his blessing. Psalm 133. 
powerful truth that in unity, think about it, and this, I won't go too far into this, but on the, on the day of Jesus's, night of Jesus' betrayal, one of the primary things he contends for right before the cross with his own group was to not allow the spirit of pride and disunity to infect them. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by the love that you demonstrate. Listen, one to the other. The badge of the disciple, of the follower of Jesus, always begins with the love one to the other. Powerful truth. He could have said it's by what you give away, by your love. He said, but the people will truly see the reality of my work in you by the by the basis of your love one to another. So do not allow the sacredness of your unity to be violated through pride, self-seeking, and petty positioning. Don't do it. Such as it is in the kingdom of this world, he says, that's what they do. They fight for the first position, the best seats. Don't do that. Don't do that with one another. He kept hitting that thing so hard. And while they were arguing about who was the greatest, he gets down on his knees and he starts, he starts washing their feet and he says, see what I've showed you. Do you understand? Don't ever forget this. Now he's got a cross coming the next day. I mean, it's, think about where he's going. And yet he pauses to teach that lesson. It meant something to him. We need to guard against offense in our hearts um, to watch that. They, John was being appealed to by people who loved him to be offended and to, and to divide himself at some level. In other words, they were saying, you need to think territorially. I mean, he's kind of coming into our turf. And they wanted him to see Jesus. And I don't think they meant it because they loved him. But they wanted him to see Jesus as a rival. And he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He's it, it, like, I've, I, and I've, again, I've always loved his statement in verse 27. It's almost as if he's saying, look, the Lord decides who he prospers and exalts. Not men. If it is not people. Uh, if, if it's his choice, then so be it. That's God's call, not mine, and not yours. And there are times where I say, you know what? It's the Lord decides. The Lord decides. Our job is not to tell God how he decides, but to work with the kingdom, right? And then John does something to combat, I think, the very real hurt he feels and that very real temptation he's feeling, like being presented with. And there's a great, great principle for us here I'm telling you, if, you, if we go away with this, is power in this. Um, there's power to live out of in this. Because what does John do? What do you, okay, I know what he literally does, right? We get, what he literally says is, look, I'm, I'm the bride, I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. Okay, that's what he says. But what is he really, really getting at? Because then he pushes it further, right? And he goes, and why wouldn't I be anything but filled with joy? over what is happening. Just like that bride, friend of the bridegroom is happy for his friend, right? And here's the principle, when we're all in, it's very important, it's almost essential that we articulate and activate joy, we'll put it up there, joy as a way of life. Why? Because the joy of the Lord, the scripture teaches us, is our strength. There is power in it. It's so easy to yield to our sadness or our disappointment. Start letting that define us because we live in a broken world and we're not exempt from trouble. We may suffer from a broken, breaking body that's not working right. We might have a broken body or a, a broken relationship. It's not working well. A broken dream, a broken heart. 
Each are hard in their own way. You know, in John's case, do you know what his challenge was? It was uh, vocational rearrangement. In his humanity, he had to be okay with being less admired. And, and yes, yes, listen, even passed by. He had to learn how to be graceful and genuinely happy for the ascendancy of Jesus, even though part of it meant his own demise. And it's one thing to say, I want the best for you. It's another thing to live that way. I, I, he, you, could, you could feel it in there. Remember, he was still a man in his prime, right? How would he combat this temptation to envy or to yield to depression? You know what he chose to do? He chose to anchor himself in joy. I tell you who I am. No, 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 that's not it. I'm a, I am like a friend of the bridegroom. And I am happy for that. It brings me joy to see it. And you might say, well, did he really mean that? I, th I, th I, I do believe a part of John genuinely meant, meant that. He wasn't lying. But I also think that just like a lot of times you and I, it doesn't mean we're not struggling with other stuff. We may take the position and articulate what we know what God wants, and there is power in that. I heard people say, and I've even said it a couple of times, well, if I don't feel it, I'm not going to say it. That's a fine line to walk, because sometimes what goes first, the saying or the feeling? Which follows which? What's the horse that really pulls the carriage? When we articulate something by faith, if there's a part of me or a part of you that really does want that, want what God wants, then we speak into that. Do you hear what I'm saying? Speak into that. That's not being inauthentic. Speaking like John says, no, 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 no. It brings me joy. He comes against that, that temptation to be defined by offense in his heart with a spirit of joy. He comes against that thing that would say, you're losing, you're losing. And his best people were telling him, you can't let this happen. You've got to fight for yourself. And he won't do it. He won't do it. It's almost like, Lord, there are going to be times when we're going to need you to help us push past our sadness with a big heart, with a big heart. Open my heart up, God. Give me a big heart. Thirdly, lastly, you know what it is. May, here's a principle of all in. May he increase, right, as I decrease. More of you, less of me. I love this little, you see that little symbol there? He greater than I. That's a great t-shirt, by the way. You can get great, he greater than I t-shirts. I'm not a salesman, but I'll tell you, I really like those t-shirts a lot. Go online and get one. They're out of Hawaii. Um, <laughs> he is greater than I. He must increase, I must decrease. Less of my will, more of his, his way. Less of my selfishness, more of his graciousness. More of my smallness, listen more of his largeness. Less of me, more of thee. Less of me, more of you. Less of us, more of him. That's what we want, that it shows up in our character, our conversation, the decisions we make, the way we live, the dailiness of our lives. It's one of the reasons why we decided to just go for the, the rise and shine and just do it on a daily basis. It was to assist everyone to just to stay in a good place heading into Easter, right? That was our heart's desire. It was to do this. Keep ourselves alive in God. 
always going to have reasons to be discouraged, envious, resentful, small. Kids stay big in our heart. My yoke is easy, Jesus said. My burden is light. All right. We're going to pray. And uh, we'll have a time of giving. And I know a lot of us are giving on, online these days, which is fine. But we still have a little traditional time as well. I'm going to pray. And then we'll have our offering time. And we'll close with the final song connected right to the... In fact, listen, this is a, a song that is directly connected to what we're about, what we've just been sharing. All right? I mean, let me pray. But God, I do ask that your words would just be uh, magnified in our hearts. Let us be open. I don't know where we're supposed to really ultimately hang on to. I know this. I know that you want... You want the best part of our story to be your story. I know that. May your story be greater than our story at work in our lives. I do. I ask that. Intertwine it, but make it the key thing. Just pray your blessing over our time. Let these words settle in. Let us learn and live them out. Ask for your blessing. Bless us as we close this time. Bless our time of giving. All these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.